Hello, and welcome to the podcast that I've been procrastinating for far too long. Um, after responses to the last episode, I had tons of thoughts about what I wanted to say next, but of course, as always, I didn't write down the points I was thinking, and then I put it off until the very last minute, as per usual, and I lost my train of thought. Um, but assuming you're listening to this and I got the episode out on time, well, my poor choices of procrastination are sadly reinforced and perpetuated in spite of my conscience. Oh well, um, <laughs> we do work better under pressure, some of us, don't we? At least that's what we like to tell ourselves. Um, but here we are now, so let me tell you what we're going to discuss today. First of all, it's time to get really honest. Uh, I'm a little scared, but I think it's got to be done. So I'm going to start out with our responsibility to say what we believe and my fear of doing that. Uh, then I'm going to dive right into the fray with why I think sola scriptura is bunk. Um, and then I'm going to address a couple of questions that I got re-last week's episode. Thank you, by the way, to those of you who brought up the points. Um, I think you guys are starting to make this into a dialogue instead of a monologue, and so I'm excited about that. Okay, go. So, to start, someone once told me that basically I'm only good for consuming and collating information. Like, don't try to hug me, but feel free to confront me with an abstract idea, which I guess I can't really take much issue with that. I do consume a lot of information. I guess it's lucky for me that I was born in the information age. Um, but that being said, I don't want to get too emphatic saying this because I know there's so much I have no clue about, especially when it comes to science and technical things. Um, but anyway, it is true that I do collect bits of ideas from everywhere and start creating this web of connections and patterns, and I've been more and more bothered over the years when I listen to podcasts, read books, and have discussions with people, and I hear them coming so close to what I think is profound about our reality in the context of my understanding of God, but missing it by an inch. Um, now hold on. I'm not trying to say I'm some great intellect that reaches farther and deeper with my ideas than the smartest minds of our times. Of course I'm not saying that. Um, I don't presume to be anyone particularly special, but I do think that I have an interesting perspective that may hold a grain of truth, and I don't hear a lot of people bringing it to the table. When I hear people like hold on to your hats, Jordan Peterson, for example, um, making waves in society with something that, on a lot of levels, I think brings clarity to a confused generation like us millennials. Um, I can't help but fear that all of those people will be let down and maybe even worse off than before when they reach the end of his construction of reality and still aren't satisfied. Um, it's the whole Solomon's lament of vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Um, and I think we all know by now that this is also my attitude to most religious arguments. Um, and this has been weighing on me because I see a need for a co cohesive, satisfying worldview. And I want to be able to d discuss my ideas with other people who have at least an overlapping knowledge. Um, but I've been too timid to think that little old me might be able to offer meaningful insight to anyone. Um, the nagging doesn't go away, though, that if I believe in something and I'm not willing to share it, that's wrong of me. Um, and I have a confession to make. I've been having an internal battle for a long time over this podcast, but I guess now, episode 5, I'm in too deep to not face up to it. The truth is, I didn't really want to start this Adventist millennial thing. 
I fought the feeling or the conviction that I needed to do it for almost a year because I was too afraid. Um, I think you guys know what I'm talking about when I reference the general feeling of status quo and fear of questioning in traditional circles of the church. And one of the ways that is always uh, used to stop questions or edgy topics is something like, don't be a stumbling block if it's going to get someone bent out of shape. Uh, so being kind like Jesus is always invoked as a way to keep divisive or provocative questions from being raised. And what's so insidious about that, I think, is that if you're really coming from a place of love, you have to pause and consider the legitimacy of those arguments. But then, at the same time, you also have to admit that Jesus was very shocking and provocative in his time as well. Um, and he pissed off a lot of people with the things he said and did, and he was never silenced by a fear of what reaction people might have. Unlike Peter before the cock crowed, who I fear I'm more like most of the time. Um, and I do hear a lot within the church an emphasis on being willing to stand up for our beliefs to, like, non-believers and hostile states and foreigners and devils, because that's the righteous and praiseworthy thing to do, but somehow it's not the same when the people you're <laughs> compelled to stand up to are supposed to be on the same page as you because you're both part of the church. Uh, I make jokes about the compliance committee and stifling atmospheres and stuff because of the grain of truth there that deserves to be satirized, and this is what I've been struggling with because I'm not out there with the singular goal of making people angry. Uh, if you saw my Instagram story about triggering baby boomers for the lols, that was a joke. <laughs> uh, stepping on toes really isn't my main objective, but recently I've been trying to honestly interrogate my own motives because yes, I admit, part of me enjoys getting a rise out of people and I need to separate any selfish motives I might have. Uh, because simply being a provocateur is not a useful end in itself. And there's a scenario where the critique that I'm being needlessly provocative um, could have actually have some merit. But at the same time, while I'm being a little spicy for some of the traditionalists, I do think there are times when it's justified to kind of shock people out of a state of lethargy. If we don't want to be a lukewarm church, maybe we need to have a bucket of cold honesty dumped on us sometimes. Um, this takes guts, however, and up until now I've actually been very wary of putting my honest thoughts out there because of how unpopular I fear they are. The traditional Adventists don't like my views, but at the same time I'm pretty sure I also butt heads with more progressive Adventists. And no one wants to be floating out there alone, being the only one to hold an opinion, but if I believe I'm on the right track and want a chance to continue discovering if I am, I have to be bold enough to say so. And maybe there are more people out there who would resonate with the things that I think, but they're equally afraid to um, admit it. So while on this platform, I do critique often the views of those around me in the church. <laughs> it's always with the goal of discovering what's true, and if that offends people, I'm more convinced every day that I need to be willing to do that. And if I'm wrong, hopefully I'll be open enough to be enlightened, and I hope you guys will be willing to challenge me if you have strong pushback. Um, so what do you guys think? 
Do you find your own knee-jerk reaction is to temper yourself to avoid critique? Or do you tend to just say what you believe no matter what the consequences are? Okay, so now, against the backdrop of having the guts to go against the crowd, I'm compelled to say, Sola Scriptura, or the Bible and the Bible only, is a hot garbagio take. Uh, so take a minute, close your eyes, how are you feeling? Are you feeling provoked? relieved? Whatever it is, let me explain why I feel the need to say this. Um, the other week I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts. The host, Ali Stuckey, was making some theological point that was a little bit controversial. I think maybe it had to do with determinism, if I remember, but that's not really the point. Um, what struck me was that she got on Instagram after the episode had dropped and said, basically, to all the Christians who are coming at me with arguments that are not directly from scripture, uh, basically, take a hike. Uh, she didn't want to hear anything that wasn't a biblical argument because my soul infallibility of scripture to speak to theological topics or whatever. So, obviously, I messaged her back on Instagram and I said, shouldn't your theology be consistent across philosophy, science, and experience as well as the Bible? Um, and doesn't that require room for arguments in addition to and outside of scripture? Um, and her response was basically, nope. If you're arguing with someone that doesn't believe in the Bible, sure, make a non-biblical argument. But if you're talking theology... That's constrained to the Bible and the Bible alone. Well, <clears throat> if you've ever heard any of my other episodes, I think you know what I'm about to say. Why do we have two different standards for God and humanity unless our theology doesn't actually line up with reality? First of all, theology is the study of how we understand God, not how we understand the Bible. Um... Is our God so small that the only convincing way he can relate truth to us is via a text that, by definition, must be interpreted? Uh, is that really what you're saying? We're either too stupid to see the truth outside of it being dictated to us, or God is too incompetent to communicate that to us. Uh, answer me this. How, if scripture is the only reliable source of truth about God, do we have thousands and thousands of different interpretations of what it means? If scripture is just so clear that it's the only communication we need, why is it so difficult to decode? Uh, you could say it's plain and evident, but that would be disingenuous. Because what do you take literally as opposed to what's metaphorical or symbolic in the Bible? What things are specifically true in all situations and what scenarios in the Bible are simply illustrative of an underlying principle? Uh, how does time and culture influence what is relayed and how it's relayed? All of these things are hotly debated uh, within various religions and that's legitimate because every Christian religion comes up with something different based on the same book. Furthermore, this is how religion gets the reputation of fairy tale among the intelligentsia. Uh, because when it doesn't make sense or square with what we as humans experience as reality every day of our lives, Christianity simply shrugs it off as being our inability to comprehend God or 
the Bible said so, so that's good enough, even if it doesn't totally make sense. Well, sorry, that's not rhetorically convincing. Um, yes, I do believe the Bible is God's word and holds truths that communicate his love to us. I also believe that the Bible is often literal and not completely mythological, as some, like Jordan Peterson, often say. Uh, but I'm also willing to say that it's not the only relevant way to uncover theological truth. You really need a theology that makes sense in light of not only the Bible, but also nature and experience. And I believe there's a way to understand God that is consistent across all of those realms. A philosophy that is cohesive across not only biblical interpretation, but science and experience is much more convincing than... Well, I read it in the Bible. Um, I would also like to point out that having no-no zones, like you can't make an argument without a Bible verse, is usually a red flag indicative of coercive tactics. So if you say, well, that's a very compelling philosophical argument that seems consistent with my experience, but it goes against my understanding of the Bible, therefore it must not be considered. Uh, my answer to that would be, who is it that constrains thought and argument? Is it God? Because if you listened to last week's episode or read the book of Job, you might be willing to see that God is so open to exploring ideas that he was even willing to let Satan slander him and try his own way at great peril to everyone involved. Also, uh, what do we know about totalitarian worldly governments? Well, they're often extremely censorious in order to maintain control because lies are broken down by the light of truth. Whereas usually, when someone is telling the truth, there is not a fear of counter-arguments that might expose them and probing is usually welcomed to, to the truth because evidence speaks to reality and reality confirms truth. This is all, of course, assuming that you don't hold a postmodern worldview of relativism and uh, relative truth. So, if sola scriptura is used to shut down ideas about God that might be otherwise compelling, but are too dangerous to consider because of our interpretation of only the Bible, I'm going to have to push back. I mean, you try to sit on a one-legged stool and just tell me how that goes for you. Okay, so now let's dive into the questions that you guys had about last week's episode. Um, the first one is, if God is unwilling or too loving to kill his creations in retribution, as Satan accuses him, um, what do we do with people like Hitler, rapists, murderers, etc.? Uh, will God not execute judgment on these people, and is that not just? Okay, brace yourselves. If you're a dyed-in-the-wool Christian, um, you're probably going to have a visceral reaction to what I'm about to say. I, I know I did when I first considered it. Um, I have a very crystalline moment when I remember confronting this idea for the first time, and it took me uh, maybe seven years from then to be willing to accept it. Um, so don't worry if this ruffles your feathers. I expect it probably will. Um, but here goes nothing. No, God does not kill Hitler, Stalin, or even Lucifer at the end of the Great Controversy. <sighs> Breathe. Count to ten. Okay, now, consider this. 
Imagine you're a parent who has lost a child. Um, they were murdered by another despicable, sinful human. Imagine the pain of that. Imagine the trauma, the anger, the longing for justice, perhaps even revenge. Okay, now think about this. The murderer is on death row. You are a witness to the moment before they're revenged. Okay, record scratch, breaks maybe. <laughs> Um, right before the moment of truth, you're given this option by a wizard or a fairy or a genie in a bottle. Um, would you rather, one, see the murderer killed for justice, or two, erase it like it never happened and get your child back? Uh, seriously, think about this. Would you rather see the murderer die than get your child back as if it never happened? I certainly wouldn't. I would choose my child. Um, and if you buy into the great controversy and you buy into God's power and ability to restore all things, to dry every tear and to heal every wound, um, if you believe that this reality we live in is temporary reality, it can be conceivable that justice outside of this reality does not include punishment for actions inside this reality. Now, I know. I know. Because this is the only reality we've ever known, it's extremely hard to imagine the pain we've suffered here being healed so thoroughly as to be like it never happened. Um, but let me put it this way. Say you're playing a game of laser tag. You get absolutely annihilated and your opponent beats your pants off. Um, is it a mature sense of justice to then go and punch him in the face once you're done playing laser tag? Or is that what a six-year-old's sense of justice would cause him to do? Uh, I know it's hard to think that the incredible amounts of suffering and misery humanity has experienced on Earth could ever be transcended. It defies everything we've ever felt um, with the damage of human suffering. But I think in many ways, we are like six-year-olds in our sense of justice because we are anchored to this world. Now, think about this. This is from a USA Today article from January 8, 2018. It says, Soliman Abdul Matakalim was shot in the back of his head as he walked home carrying food for himself and his wife. Authorities say he was an innocent and unsuspecting victim. After two teenagers pleaded guilty this month at separate court hearings and were sentenced to prison terms, Abdul Matakalim's mother, Rukie, offered to hug them. Uh, Jovan Coulter said she could. Rukie wants to visit them in prison regularly and help them become better people. Okay, I'm sure you've heard stories kind of like this before, where a mother forgives her child's murderer. Uh, and what's your reaction? Are you angry at this mother? Do, does it make you, does her forgiveness make you want to scream at her and tell her that she's wrong? Or do you marvel at the ability to waive our human instinct for justice in favor of attempting to heal? Um, I think most people marvel. And why do you think that is? Is it because it's more admirable to heal than to get justice? Um, so... What rests easier on your conscience? That God is willing to kill his creations for rejecting him, even though we're all born broken, or that God is big enough to heal completely 
and perfectly our earthly wounds without becoming a tyrant in the process. Um, if you're reacting the way that I did, you're resisting this, and that's okay. Uh, but I implore you to give it time, keep probing it, keep trying to be honest with yourself about what justice actually looks like, um, and what a loving God actually looks like. And maybe see where you line up in seven years, or maybe you're much more, um, uh, open-minded than I was, and you say, hey, that makes sense, uh... Let me know. Okay, next question. What about Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death? What do we do with this if God doesn't kill people? Okay, well, first of all, are death and God doing the killing mutually exclusive? If God's law is simply a rule that he made up to coerce our actions, then yes, you must conclude God has to kill those who disobey. Um, but if God's law is natural reality, then if he does not inflict death, death may still be a consequence of living outside of natural law. For example, um, do we blame God for killing suicide jumpers? Or do they inflict it on themselves by breaking the natural law of gravity? If you believe that God arbitrarily imposes laws as obedience tests, then the consequences must also be manually imposed by him. Uh, so if you're speeding, for example, which is an arbitrary law, no, and no cop sees you, do you receive a punishment? Well, assuming you don't crash or something, no, you don't receive a punishment unless you're caught. However, if you put your hand on a hot burner and no one sees it, do you still get burned? Yes. Okay, I'll harp on this again. Why would there be two sets of standards for natural laws like gravity and God's law of how to live? Um, so it's not that there are no consequences, like the wages of sin is not death, but it is possible that God does not inflict those consequences on people out of anger, um, or retaliation, or retribution, or whatever, uh, whatever. And in light of that, 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, in light of what I just said, this verse makes perfect sense. God doesn't want any of us to perish. He doesn't want to kill us. Um, he wants to give us as many opportunities to see the joy in his natural law as he possibly can. But if we're never able to see that and we continue to break those laws and reject the hand of love that he's offering us, like gravity, one day there will be no unjumping off the bridge. If you're free falling and refuse to be caught, there's nothing God can do. It doesn't mean he wants it to happen or is inflicting it on you, but he will not violate our free will to keep us as subjects. Okay, so how shook are you in comparison to last week? Do you have objections, questions? Do you have answers? How are you feeling? Uh, let me know. And don't forget, subscribe if you haven't already. I really appreciate it. Um, and if you want to, go leave a review on iTunes. I have one five-star review, which thank you, reviewer, if you're listening. Um, it means a lot to me that you guys are sticking with me so far. So I will see you over on Instagram at SDA Millennial if you have comments. Uh, otherwise, have a great weekend.